Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is completing a series over Advent as he looks at the second coming of Christ, that second Advent. We're happy that you're listening today. If you're looking for a church to connect with in the upcoming year, we would love for you to give Calvary a try. You can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. The upcoming year is full of lots of challenges, and we need to place our hope in someone. That hope is Jesus Christ. Let's listen as Pastor Kurt talks about when Christ comes again, sunrise to glory, taken from Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. The book of Malachi chapter 4. I hope that you will notice in your worship guide that there is a just a brief personal evaluation. That's not for you to sign your name to and turn in. You're not going to be graded. It's just a little tool to help you evaluate where you are in your walk with the Lord as you anticipate, as you make plans and New Year commitments for the coming year. Now, I hope you won't do that during church this morning, but that you'll do it after you get home and spend some time in in just prayerful evaluation. On the opposite page, on the uh, back side of that sheet, uh, are a list of Bible reading plans. I hope many of you are ready to make a commitment again this year uh, to read through the Bible, whether it's to read through the entire Bible or uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, certain portions of the Bible, but that you'll make daily Bible reading a part of, uh, of your uh, daily activities this new year. Uh, now, I know the frustration of starting in the first of the year to read through the Bible and then Somewhere, if you're reading through it from front to back, somewhere about, you know, Deuteronomy or Leviticus, it just kind of loses its steam oftentimes. And so don't uh, be bearing the burden of guilt that I tried that last year and didn't make it through. That's all right. Tomorrow, if the Lord gives us tomorrow, is a new day and a new year altogether. I believe we had uh, more people of our, of our fellowship reading through the Bible this past year than maybe Calvary Church has ever known before. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm all ready to, to get started again. I finished uh, uh, Revelation chapter 22 a couple of days ago at the end and uh, I'm anticipating reading through it in a little bit different way this year. Now, that page has a variety of ways to read through Scripture. Pick out what works for you, what seems like God's leadership for you. Uh, if that's not enough, you might also try another site. Try the ESV Bible app. Uh, the ESV Bible app has some great plans, and um, uh, you can actually hear people read through the Bible. Uh, you can follow along. Uh, there's just a variety of ways, but uh, make the Bible part of your daily experience this coming year. I appreciate these songs we've sung this morning. Uh, they've been talking about heaven. They've been talking about uh, the next, the second advent, the coming of Christ, of when we will see him. 
Uh, I want to begin by uh, telling you a couple of experiences I had. I want to talk to you today about sunrise in glory. That's the title of the message. It is when Christ comes again. Now, I had an incredible sunrise experience when I was 19 years old. Um, now, I'll be honest with you, sunrise has, hadn't always been my favorite time of day. Uh, it has become more so as I've gotten older and found it very hard to just sleep through the night. I'm, I'm ready for the night to get over with so I can get up and get some relief from time to sleep at night. But when I was 19, I was uh, making my very first um, flight in an airplane. And it was kind of uh, an extensive flight to have your first experience in a plane, on a plane. I left Little Rock, Arkansas, my home, on my way to the country of Brazil in South America. It was an all-night flight as I left on one afternoon and made several stops in places like Panama and uh, Quito and finally to Lima, Peru in the wee hours of the morning and had several hours there. And about an hour before daylight, we left Lima which is on the Pacific coast of uh, Peru, on our way across the Andes Mountains and into Brazil and to land on the Atlantic coast uh, in Brazil. We left Lima because the mountains run right along at the edge of the ocean. The flight had to go west, first of all, to go east in order to climb out over uh, the Pacific Ocean, and give enough time to make the climb to an altitude where you can get over the mountains. And just as we were climbing over the Andes Mountains, the sun came up uh, in the east, and it was just spectacular. There was a cloud layer below with nothing above the clouds except the rugged, snow-covered Andes peaks as far as you could see to the north out that window to as far as you could see to the south out that window. And as the sun came up over the horizon, those mountain peaks, those snow-capped peaks turned brilliant pink against the darkness of the sky. It was one of the most amazing things I had ever seen in my life. It was a spectacular sunrise. I'll never forget that. Some 25-plus years later, um, I had the privilege of visiting the country of Israel for the first time and made several trips there since. But we had made our way about two or three days into the journey and had come to Tiberias, a city on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And that name sounds familiar to you because so many events of the New Testament happened in and around the Sea of, Gal of Galilee, uh, also known as uh, Kinneret. It's basically just a big lake. That's what it is. But I got up early to watch sunrise over the country of Jordan on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, what used to be known as Moab in the Old Testament, over Mount Pisgah, which is where Moses saw the promised land and died and where God himself came and buried that man of God. And those hills were nothing like the Andes. In fact, they 
wouldn't even really classify as mountains at all, just hills. But as the sun came over that horizon and shone on the Sea of Galilee and lit up that place, I thought about all of the things that I read about and studied and preached about and taught about and heard preached about events that took place around that lake, around the Sea of Galilee. I thought about Jesus calling his disciples, of Jesus walking on the water on that very lake that the sun was reflecting off of, and, and of him calming the storm with just a word or two. I thought about as I looked a little to the north end of Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, of Jesus healing so many people, casting out demons, and there just across the other side of him casting the demons out of a, a, a demoniac that, that they had tried with all their might to chain him up and contain him, but he was so uh, powerful under the control of demons that he broke chains and how it took Jesus' words to give him deliverance and how Jesus cast those demons into a herd of swine and had run down into that very lake right over there. As sunrises go, it wasn't as spectacular as that sunrise over the great Andes Mountains. But because of the location and what took place there, it was a far more glorious sunrise. Well, I want to talk to you today about a sunrise that we can anticipate as God's people. One that will be both spectacular and glorious. It is yet to come. And it is found, described very briefly, in this very last chapter. A chapter only six verses long where God gives his very last words before going silent for 400 years to the New Testament and its beginning. This is what it says in verses 1 through 3. Follow along with me. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall be shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Now listen to verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you and I shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Have you ever seen a calf released from the stall? Released from the barn, leaping and jumping, kicking, 
Another word for that I found out, I was unfamiliar with this word. I'm not very bright. Gambling. Gambling. I'm not talking about what you do in Hot Springs or Las Vegas. But gambling, leaping and jumping for joy. Like the lame man who was, who was healed by Jesus. And he went gambling through those temple grounds. That's what it'll be like for you and me when Jesus comes. It's interesting here that, that the phrase son, S-U-N, of righteousness shall rise, a sunrise. But this son of righteousness here is referring to none other than the son, S-O-N, of righteousness. It, it is as though a play on words, that Jesus is the light of the world, that we live in a very darkened world right now, but there is coming a day when the sun, S-O-N, there will be a sun, S-U-N, rise, a sunrise, and it will be a glorious sunrise for God's people. Now, we've been talking in the recent days, in fact, all the month of December, about uh, Advent, about what Advent is all about. We've tried to encourage you to slow down a little bit this Christmas season and keep a focus on what Christmas is really all about. And it's not all about the gifts and, and all about the parties and all about the food and all about all the trappings that say, take so much of our time, so much of our energy, so much of our resources, so much of our money. And to remember, it's about the coming, the advent, the coming of the Lord. It's about the arrival of a notable person. That's what Advent is all about, specifically the arrival of Jesus. Well, we celebrate this time of the year what happened 2,000 years ago when he came at his first Advent. But the Bible talks about two Advents, especially as you read the prophets. It talks about two Advents. In fact, even this brief six verse uh, chapter of God's Word, closing out the Old Testament, this uh, is, a, is a mashup, if you, if you allow me to use that term, of both his first coming and his second coming. He's talking, and most of the prophecies about Jesus are exactly that, as these different prophets. They talk about his first advent. They talk about his second advent because it was not made clear to them that there was a time between the two. That's why the Jews of Jesus' day looked to and expected more than anything else a king coming in great power and in great glory. They didn't get it that he was going to come as a servant the first time and give his life as the Savior of the world. And then when he comes his second time, what we still anticipate, what could happen at any time, what we'll talk about today in the remainder of this message, that that's when he's going to come in great glory. That's when there will be a sunrise in glory. So we've talked about the what of Advent. It's about God sending his son. 
that when uh, the when of Advent was when the fullness of time had come, his first Advent. The how, he was born of a woman. He was born under the law. The why, to redeem and to make it possible for you and me to receive adoption into his family. And so now I want to talk to you about the second Advent. Some of these things that I'll say may sound familiar because I've talked about them with you before, a little bit differently, different time, different context, but some of the same truths. I just want to say this to you. Sundown in this life and sunrise in glory could happen today. It could happen today. This may be not just the last day of December of the year 2023. This may be the last day of life on this planet as we have known it, not only in our lifetimes, but in all of human history. The end of this world and the coming of the Lord, the sunrise of righteousness, of glory, could happen today. Now, I know some of you are thinking, thinking, do you really believe that? Because I've been asked that before. Do you really believe that? Listen, I not only believe it, I know it. It could happen today. How do I know it? How can you know it? I give you four reasons from scriptures. First of all, it was predicted by the Old Testament prophets. We've already touched on that. The Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Daniel, Amos, Malachi, all of the rest. These men talked about not only his first coming, but his second coming. In fact, if you take all of the prophecies, some 450 or 60 of them uh, that pertain to the coming of Christ, twice as many talk about his second coming as talk about his first coming. But when you look at those describing his first coming, understand those prophets are batting 1,000. They didn't miss a one. They didn't misprophesy anything about Jesus. Everything that dealt with his first coming has happened just as they said it would that these men got their word directly from the Lord under the inspiration of the Lord. Their personalities, their way of writing, their vocabularies, all of that reflected them personally. But understand, God not only gave them the truths, God protected them from making any error at all. And so if you've got somebody that's got it right 100 times out of 100, understand, you can get guarantee that what they said about the second coming is going to happen just like they said as well. But I want to mention one in particular prophet, one that is not even named among the prophets, yet he is a prophet. He is only mentioned in about two verses way back in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 5, where it's talking about the lineage of Seth, 
uh, the son of Adam and Eve. And all these men that were born and lived so many years and died and were born and lived so many years and died, we find that their average age was something over 900 years. But there was one of them that lived just a little short time of life, 365 years. He was just a, a newbie. He was just now coming on to maturity and manhood. He was only 365 years. And the Bible said he walked with God and God took him. He just went to be with the Lord. He didn't die. His name was what? You remember? Enoch. And guess what? In a little book, one chapter long, next to the last book of the New Testament, the book of Jude, one of the half-brothers of Jesus Christ himself, an unbeliever during the time Jesus lived, but became a believer after his resurrection, this Jude writes a little short book of encouragement about the last days and about how many people are going to fall away from the truth. But he mentions in his little book this man Enoch. And this is what he says. And Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. When the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones is not the first advent of Jesus. It is the second advent of Jesus. It's when Jesus comes back in great glory. And he says he comes to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. When he comes back, it will not be to save men from their sins. It will be to execute judgment on Christ's rejectors for their sins, to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He wasn't talking about the Christmas story. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. Can I give you an interesting fact? <clears throat> the length of, of life of people from Adam and his descendants, they said, did you know that when the seventh generation, Enoch, was born, Adam was still alive? His great, 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 whatever it is, granddaddy, was still living. In fact, their lives overlapped for almost all of Enoch's life. Their lives overlapped 308 years. 308 years. Meaning that of his 365-year life, 365 minus 8, what is that, 57? 357. It means that the majority of his life was lived and he may very well have known Adam himself. It could be, and probably was, that Enoch 
had sat at the feet of Adam, the first man, and heard him talk about the garden. And Enoch later moved to the Lord, prophesied the second coming of Jesus, something that's going to happen thousands of years later. Well, the prophets predicted it, but it was also proclaimed by angels. Angels, the messengers of the Lord. In Acts chapter 1, as Jesus is ascending back to heaven after his resurrection, there came to stand by those disciples as they were looking and watching Jesus going up in a cloud. They didn't even notice these two angels in white apparel. And they said, while they were gazing into heavens, these angels said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus who is taking up from you into heaven, will come again in like manner, in the same way as you have watched him go to heaven. So the angels sent there by God the Father to reassure these apostles who were seeing their master leave them that he would come back one day just as he has left. It was proclaimed by angels. Not only that, it was preached by the apostles. When you read the book of Acts and you read the writings of Paul and of John and of Peter and of Jude, these men who knew Jesus and walked with Jesus, these men who heard and saw the crucifixion and the resurrection with their own eyes, these men talk about repeatedly about the second coming of the Lord, that he will come again and we need to prepare for that day. But most of all, it was promised by Jesus himself. In the upper room the night before the crucifixion, Jesus said to his disciples around that Passover table, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go, listen to these words, John 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. For 2,000 years now, since Jesus went back to heaven, he has been working on a home for you and for me. Now, he wouldn't do that if he was not going to come back and get us. He's getting a place ready, a place of welcome, a place of family. I know we kind of like the King James better that if I'm going to go and prepare a mansion for you, but we're Americans, you know, we're individualists. We like to have our own mansions, you know, where I can come over and visit you at your mansion and you can come over and visit me at my mansion and we can compare whose mansion is better because we're like that. And we may even call in the home improvement people and they'll come along and, and improve our mansions and make them even better. But understand, the whole picture here is the Jewish family. And as the family grows, everyone doesn't get their own individual mansion. They just keep adding to the house, keep adding to the house. And it's all built around a courtyard where there's fellowship, 
where there's communion, where there's life together as the people of God and the family of God. And that's what heaven is going to be like. That's going to be pretty huge. The new Jerusalem and all the rest. But understand, Jesus is preparing a place for all of those that truly are his followers. So, I know for a fact, and you can know for a fact, that sundown in this life and sunrise in glory could be today. But, point number two, if not today, it will come someday. If not today, it will be someday. I thought it would be way back in the 1970s when I was just getting cranked up in my ministry. I just knew for a fact Jesus was coming soon. I'll be honest with you, that came into play in some of my consideration when at the age of 20, my wife and I left Bible college and went to work with a handful of people that wanted to start a church on an Indian reservation 2,200 miles away because Jesus was coming soon and there was a work to be done. Didn't happen in the 70s. Then we read in the 80s all those books, the late great planet Earth. Remember that? Do you remember it seemed like every other song Christian song that was being written was about the second coming. Jesus is coming soon. And so many others. And remember all of these prophecy, modern day prophets, not in the same vein as the true prophets of the Bible, but preachers who were predictors. They were more predictors than prophets because they're not batting a thousand. Because many of them, like I, thought that it would be certainly, if not the 70s, it would be in the 80s. Didn't happen in the 80s. Well, we looked for it in the 90s, but by now skepticism is starting to settle in. And then the 2000s, and to the point that now it seems like many who still claim the name of Christ are not sure it's ever going to happen. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. We don't have any reason to doubt. We don't have any reason to, to second think this whole thing. Just because we've been looking for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and it hasn't happened, understand, it just means that we're closer now to when it's going to happen than we've ever been. And we can be more sure of it now than we ever have been in the past. If not today, it's going to come someday. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what day it is, right? The Bible doesn't tell us what day it is, but the Bible gives us some indicators of what the times will be like. I want you to write down three words that describe the last days. A time of anxiety, of anxiety, a time of apostasy, apostasy, a time of attackers. I'll explain those three. It will be a time of anxiety. In Jesus' ministry on earth, his apostles asked him one time, what will be the signs of your coming? What will be the signs of the times? And Jesus says, first of all, understand this. Nobody knows the day or the hour. And Jesus said, I don't even know the day or the hour, but that is given to my Father himself. He is the only one who knows. But understand, he said, 
And he talks in chapter 24 of Matthew, chapter 25 of Matthew, Luke chapter 21. He talks about a time of anxiety. He says there will be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation all around the world. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes. It will be the beginning of the birth pains. It will be like labor coming on a pregnant woman. She'll begin to feel the birth pains of these events in the world. There will be signs in the heavens. There will be distress. There will be perplexity. People will be fainting for fear and foreboding of what is coming in the world. And he goes on to say, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, I want to be the first to admit, I don't know a lot about eschatology. That's about the end of the world events. There's a lot of different ideas. And those ideas are not some better than others because there are, there are men who are brilliant men on different sides of, of when all of this is going to happen and how and in what sequence. In fact, I think some of those things of Matthew 24 and 25, they happened in the lifetime of the apostles. But not all of them. And just like the Old Testament prophets could not fully distinguish between the first advent and the second advent, even the apostles in Jesus' day, understand, they couldn't separate all these things either. In 70 A.D., after Jesus went back to heaven, a number of years later, while apostles were still alive, there were events happening then that probably is some of what Jesus was talking about. But it didn't all happen then. The sun of righteousness had not yet appeared on the horizon. There had not yet come the sunrise in glory. That's still future. But this anxiety in the world, have we ever lived in a world that is so filled with unrest and anxiety and fear and perplexity than we have today? I don't think it's ever been so bad. Not only anxiety, but apostasy. What does apostasy mean? Apostasy means a falling away from truth. A person who once believed the truth, but then had come to a place of, of not believing the truth, they have apostatized. And understand, people are apostatizing by the droves in these very days in which we live today. There are people who 10 or 15 years ago wrote books that were so helpful, that were so accurate to the gospel, that were so truthful and were, uh, like I said, helpful to God's people. There are some of those people that we used to have all the confidence in the world in that have begun to deconstruct their faith. That's the word given to it to deconstruct their faith. Some of you know people that have done that. Sadly, some of you perhaps have those in your own family. They used to believe the truth, but have come to deny the truth, to deconstruct their faith. That is apostasy. Listen to what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 24. 
In that day there will be many false prophets. They will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, meaning the love for God. It will grow cold. But the one, now listen to this, because this is a warning to you and me. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Will be saved. Many people are not at this point enduring to the end. They have faded away. They have, they have departed from their once hot faith to become lukewarm and cold towards the things of God. We pray, we pray that they will come back because that will be evidence of Christ living in their hearts. But if they don't, remember, it is those who endure to the end that will be saved. Paul, writing to Timothy, says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, to tell them what they want to hear. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. And they will wander off into myths. That's apostasy. We experience those days today, do we not? A time of apostasy. And a time of attackers, what is that all about? Paul, writing again to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, says this, But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Is there anything about that that sounds or looks familiar? If not, you've got your head stuck in a hole in the sand. It's all around us. Peter writes these words in 2 Peter chapter 3. You should remember the predictions, the prophecies of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing that first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? We've waited all these years. We haven't seen it. Certainly, it was all a pack of lies. That last sentence or two was my, my words. Back to what Peter had to say. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago 
And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly, just as real as this world was once deluged and punished and washed away by water, just like there was a time when the whole human race was washed away except for eight souls. There is an equal promise of equal truthfulness that this world is going to burn up with fire to the destruction of all evil people. The sun of righteousness will rise and there will be healing in his wings for those that are his, but for those that are not, they will be wood, hay, and stubble and they will burn up to the ground with no root left in them. Friends, I hope that you are spiritually aware enough that you can see that this world is in a mess. What we are seeing and experiencing is not just a continuation of business as usual. Everything that is good, everything that is noble, everything that is upright and virtuous is under attack in this world and in our country. We are going as a civilization and as Americans, we are going to hell in a handbasket. Understand that the attack is not just limited on goodness and uprightness. It is especially focused on God's word, on the church, on the people of God, on followers of Christ. Understand this, there is a world that hates you. There is a world that hates God. It hates God's word. It hates the church, which is the body of Christ. And understand, there's not enough that you can do to make yourself look good to the world in their sight without compromising everything you believe. You say, well, what about the gospel? Isn't it good news? Well, understand this. The gospel of Christ is bad news before it can be good news. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is this. The gospel begins with the fact that, guess what? You are a sinner. That all sinners are bound for hell. That there is nothing in the world that you can do to save yourself. And until the gospel offends somebody, it cannot save anybody. The gospel is first of all offensive to every human being apart from Christ. And to, for you and me to try to dress that up and to make that acceptable and preach to people a heaven without a hell, preach to God blessing without judgment, 
to preach to God, everything will be good. Just add Jesus to your life along with all your other things you want in life. That's not what works. Jesus has to become the only thing in your life and the most precious thing to your life or you will never have the grace and forgiveness of God in this life. And the world hates that. The world hates the preaching of the gospel. The world, if they have their way, will do anything to stop it. And the only hope we have is not how good we can make it sound, is not how good we can make it look, but it is to live close to the truth of this word and keep holding to the word and sharing the word and preaching the word and let the word of God be the power of God unto salvation. For that is the only way for lost people. And it's the only way for you today if you were lost. It'll be a time of attackers. Well, we're living there. Very quickly, let me just give you some of the good news of what's going to happen when he does come. At his second advent, I'll be, I've already admitted to you, I don't know what sequence and order of things. I don't know if God's going to take us out of this world before the tribulation starts. I think there's a pretty good argument that God's people are going to experience at least half of the tribulation years. It may be that we have to live through all that awful tribulation. I don't know when the millennium is going to be. All I know is I believe Jesus is going to come before the millennium, that time of perfect peace in the world. And I believe it will be a literal millennium. But I do know that Paul gives us a very clear message in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 of three things that will happen when Christ comes. First of all, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead in Christ. Paul said, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. In other words, when you think about those that have, have died, those believers who have died, you don't have a reason to fear as those who have no hope. We grieve over the loss of our loved ones, but we don't grieve as people with no hope or confidence in the Lord. Instead, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and even so, through Jesus, God is going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep or died. That's why Enoch prophesied way, way back there in the Old Testament, even before the world was washed away in the days of Noah, we find that Enoch prophesied the Lord is coming with thousands of his saints. Enoch saw it. He saw it. For this we declare, he said, those who have died in Christ, God's going to bring with him. And for this we declare to you that by a word from our Lord, that we who are alive when Christ comes back, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, we will not experience the coming of Christ. The first ones to experience that, their spirits will be coming with Jesus with the thousands and thousands with Christ from the air, but the first to know it here on earth are the remains of those people who have died. Those that have been in the grave for maybe a month or maybe 5,000 years. 
The dead in Christ will rise first. Well, what about, what about the fact that so many people today are being cremated and their ashes are scattered all over the place? Let me tell you something. Jesus knows where every one of them is. Every last one of them. What about those lost at sea? He knows where they are. Their remains. And he's going to resurrect every single one. He's going to somehow bring all that together and they're going to be resurrected. And I think they will... They will look familiar to us, we'll recognize them, but understand this, they will be in a glorified, perfect body like Jesus when he resurrects them. And they will be reunited with their spirits. There will be a resurrection. Now what about us who are still walking around here if Jesus were to come today? Well, he's going to resurrect the dead in Christ first. And then he's going to, then he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and a voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, which are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That first event when the dead in Christ rise from all the cemeteries and other places around the world and the fields of battle where they died, where they got blown apart, where there was nothing home but left but dog tags to send home to mom and dad, there's going to be the greatest groundbreaking ceremony when God raises them up. And then immediately following them, we who are alive and remain, we shall be caught up. We call it a rapture although there is not found anywhere in God's Word the word rapture. For those left behind, it will be a rupture. But for us, it will be a rapture. We will be snatched away. Why the dead in Christ first? I don't know. Someone said maybe it's because they have six feet further to go than us. (laughs) Maybe so. But guess what's going to happen? We will be snatched away. I don't know what that will look like. If there will just be a pile of clothes, what was left. But we will be given a new body also. We will be given a glorified body like that of Jesus. I believe when that happens, there are going to be husbands who are going to roll over and their wives are going to be gone if it happens during the night. And vice versa. I believe that unsaved children will miss their saved parents because they were trying to ride mom and daddy's coattails right on into heaven. But understand, young person, you've got to trust Christ, repent of your sins yourself. There's going to be unsaved parents that will wonder why that little one has not stirred yet for always does he or she stir by this time of the morning wanting that first bottle. But they go into that nursery and that child will not be there. That child will be with Christ. Mothers will lose their in utero babies for they don't have to be born to be a person. From the time of conception, they are a person in God's eyes and God will rapture those unborn children. There will be cars without drivers. There will be planes without pilots. It will be a time of great chaos in this world. You don't want to be left behind alone and afraid. You know why? I've had people tell me, I'll wait till that happens, and if it does happen, then I'll give my life to Jesus. No, you won't. No, you won't. 
You won't. For if you heard the gospel in your lifetime and you rejected the truth and you get left behind at the second coming of Christ, the second advent of Christ, you will not give your life to... Listen, if when conditions are good, you are foolish enough to reject Jesus, wait till all hell gets turned loose on this earth. You won't trust Jesus then. In fact, the Bible even says this, you will be sent a strong delusion that someone mainly the Antichrist, is going, to, is going to give a lie for what's happened to all these people. And all the unsaved that heard the gospel before the coming of Christ, they will continue to reject Christ because they will believe that lie. Your only hope of heaven is right now. Right now. So there's going to be a resurrection there's going to be a rapture. And then in the heavens, in the air with the Lord, there's going to be a reunion. It's going to be as the old song says, when all of God's people get home. When all of God's people are out of this world and with the Lord. And it says in the passage, verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, there's still going to be a lot of activity. There's still going to be a lot of God's mission to fulfill. But we will be fulfilling it with him. And we will be the agents of helping to bring it to pass when that day comes. Now, that chapter ends with these words, 1 Thessalonians 4. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Does that thought bring you encouragement that Christ could come today? And if not today, that it will for sure happen someday? Does that encourage you? Or does it cause you fear and anxiety and dread? Encourage one another with these words. Jesus is coming soon. His advent is upon us. The time is right, it appears. And if not today, it could be tomorrow. If not tomorrow, if not this coming year, it'll be maybe the next year. But keep anticipating. Because just because it doesn't happen now doesn't mean it will not happen. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, a glorious day that will be. Growing up in Little Rock, Arkansas, I remember going to a cemetery in North Little Rock. I guess, obviously, for a funeral or some event. But I never will forget that outside that cemetery, on the gates that you had to drive through to get in. It said very plainly, these gates close at sundown. These gates close at sundown. Today, the gates of heaven are open to you. The gates, so to speak, of Christ's arms are open to you. Today, you're welcome in, but at any moment, at any time, 
those gates could close, never to open for you again. Here on this last day of 2023, if you've not done so, would you give your heart and soul to Jesus Christ? You don't have to walk down here to this altar. You don't have to jump through a lot of hoops. Jesus already took care of all of that. It's not by anything you do. It's completely by what Jesus has already done for you. Would you just surrender your heart and your life to his loving lordship? Will you just confess to him, Lord, I am a sinner and I know that I am. I can do nothing to fix all of that. By your grace, by your grace and mercy, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come into my life and take over? Would you give me not only your spirit to live with me, but by doing so the strength to live for you all the rest of the days of my life? Will you do that today? If you do, I'd love to know about it. Please let me know, would you? Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his first coming. We celebrate that. Thank you that he's coming again. We anticipate that. May it be soon. May it be quick. God, gather all of those people that need to know you as Savior to yourself. Even now, even today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.